0: You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes with K.C. Wayland. Hello Literary Alchemists, I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Christoph Laputka. And you have tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With.
1: 20 Minutes With, an opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators and explore their craft in our never-ending quest to improve our own.
0: Indeed, indeed, and and I'm... Dear friends, I am particularly blessed with this episode of 20 Minutes With, because not only do I have an awesome, creative guest host waiting in the wings for his lengthy and stalkerous introduction, but I've got an amazing creator sitting right here, virtually at least, beside me, Christoph Laputka, It has been over two years since you and I shared a Skype line. I am so delighted to have you sitting with me now, man.
1: It is so great to be back. I can't believe it's been two years. I uh, it, I don't want to look in the mirror and see how many gray hairs I've got since <laughs> <I>, then. <but laughs> yeah, don't uh, do that. It feels, it feels great. To be back,
0: and, and and let's let's make sure that th- it's not another two years before this happens again. We'll, we'll, we'll... Ab-
1: absolutely not. Awesome,
0: awesome. Well, look, Christoph, uh, let me introduce you to. Our guest host. Actually, I don't need to because you know him very well. Dear friends, let me introduce you to our guest host. Uh, uh, He grew up in Orange, California, and as with so many of our guest hosts, he manifested his storytelling instincts early in life. Uh, In the eighth grade, he drafted an epic 138-page saga titled The Quest For power that featured the pulse pounding adventures of a four armed Trojan horse and his plucky sidekick as they struggle to rescue an eagle. (laughs) Sadly, this searing tale has yet to surface on IMDb or iTunes, uh, but it does serve as proof of both our guest host's commitment, 138 pages at the age of eight, damn, and his love for the epic saga. Also, like many writers we've encountered here at the Roundtable, our guest host has trod the boards, performing in such stage productions as The Music Man and The Curious Savage. Now, this was in the Orange High School media arts program where he was studying acting and film theory and production. Yes, friends, he was a media nerd. But (laughs) dudes, he owned that school. He was a geek, and he ended up spending a lot of his time moving from classroom to classroom helping poor, benighted teachers manage the various educational technologies essential to their craft. Now, he was also producing short films, and pretty much had the run of the place, including the awesome World War II bunker in the basement of the school. How badass is that? Now, he won several awards for these films, including the Award of Excellence at the Media Festival run by the local PBS affiliate in 2001. And that piece, by the way, went on to play at the Sundance Film Festival in 2001, which is also kind of badass. He graduated with a 4.0 GPA and a Principal's Award from the school. Now in 2001, he was awarded an academic scholarship and started attending Chapman University's film program, but in 2002, shortly after the tragedy of 9-11, money was getting tight. He wanted to continue studying, but the funds just weren't there. He also realized that really he hadn't been anywhere other than Southern California his whole life, and he'd often heard that filmmakers need life experience to infuse their craft with authenticity. His father had served in the military, so our guest host opted to do the same. He took a leave of absence from Chapman, enlisted, and after boot camp, trained at the Defense Information School in Fort Meade, Maryland. Now again, he distinguished himself, receiving two certifications in broadcast engineering and being awarded both top graduate and distinguished honor graduate. Now, in 2003, he returned to Chapman University, but he was deployed to Iraq midway through his first semester. Now, here, friends, is where he makes a pivotal decision. Now, understand, he's been studying film, broadcasting, stories have been the lens through which he interprets his world, and he's about to embark on a potentially lethal deployment. He realizes he's about to live one of the stories he's studied for so long, and he seizes that opportunity to document it. From family farewells to the rigors and hazards of his deployment in the heart of Baghdad to his return over a year later, our guest host documented everything. He even crafted a customized video camera that attached to his helmet. Now, his service in Iraq earned him a nomination for a Bronze Star for Meritorious Service, and resulted in the creation of Boots on the Ground, a year in Iraq, though you may also find it under 365 Boots on the Ground. Now, this work was recognized with a Best Documentary Award at Chapman University in 2005, Best Student Doc in the Bear Bear Film Festival, and Best Student Film at the Tiberian International Film Festival. So, of course, now he's resumed his studies at Chapman, where he completes his graduate thesis, an 18-minute long character-driven 3D short he animated himself called Sopor. Now, it was animated film, which meant it required recorded vocals to lay under the animation. And for the first time, our guest host recorded actors on a sound stage. Cue dramatic foreshadowing music. Now he graduated from Chapman University as valedictorian in May of 2008. Began teaching at Costa Rica High School's regional occupation program and also at OCHSA. Now friends, that's the Orange County High School of the Arts, not the Ocean County Horse Show Association for those of you who were stalking him as closely as I've been over the last week or so. Now yes, there are pictures in his wife's instagram of her kissing horses and yes that threw me off the scent for a while but i picked up the trail fairly quickly Uh, (laughs) a year later he got a full-time staff position at dodge college of film and media arts where he works as the digital application specialist to this day oh but we're not done now While he's there, he gets approached by this attractive videographer to be in a film project he's working on, a Ford Focus commercial involving a guy looking for thrills by riding in a shopping cart and spinning himself dizzy, that kind of thing. Yeah, he does it. He does the project. He has a lot of fun. He's not aware he'll be marrying this woman a few years later. But in the meantime, our guest host is getting the itch to create something. He's been to Iraq. He's graduated. He's got a decent job he likes. He's dating a fabulous, if slightly deranged, girl. uh, And things are starting to settle down. Now that, dear friends, is the most dangerous time to be around people who like to make stuff. So he's hanging out and he's working up this idea for a zombie-themed film that incorporates some of his experiences in the military. And It's going great. It's fabulous. It's a grand sweeping vision that will take a metric butt-ton of money and a hostile takeover of industrial light and magic to actually produce. Now, fortunately, his wife hates music. I know how how is that possibly relevant or germane to this conversation this is relevant because instead of listening to tunes she was listening to audiobooks and podcasts and full cast audio productions so of course they're going out they're together he did he's infected with this bug he learns that audio drama is becoming de rigueur once more and he recalled the evocative power of the vocal narrative from his graduate thesis project the light bulb snaps on and it was off to the races which culminated in four seasons of the astonishing and richly deserved award-winning we're alive audio drama a powerful tale of survival during the zombie apocalypse The quality and depth of its production has inspired many writers to explore the audio drama art form as the chosen format for their stories, and rightly so. Now, interesting factoid, our guest host consumed absolutely no zombie media during the production of those four seasons. He didn't want to have his vision contaminated by other storytellers. That means he hadn't seen a single episode of The Walking Dead Until the last episode of We're Alive aired on July 29th, 2014. Now friends, that is discipline. I will also add that apparently no one can actually write an interview with this gentleman. As 90% of his interviews on the interwebs are audio and No, the irony of my mentioning that in yet another (laughs) impending audio interview is not lost on me. Uh, uh, If he were stuck in a zombie apocalypse, our guest host says his tools of choice would be a Hummer and an M16. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the round table, Casey Wayland. Casey, dude, uh, uh, epicness behind you, epicness before you, I'm glad here in between those two great titanic moments, you were able to find some time and share some thoughts with us, man. We appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Jeez, that... Uh, <laughs> wow. How did you find out half those things I don't even know or
0: want to know? Um, I have minions. <laughs> wow.
2: He's the
1: man.
0: <laughs> Interestingly enough, Kristoff has me on speed dial, so if he should... Perish at some point, I will be aircoptered in to deliver his eulogy.
2: <laughs> You're the best in the business, Dave.
0: <laughs> but who's going to call you then? That's a good point. That is a good <laughs> point. Ooh, we could, we could hook up something like to his heart or something. So, you know, I, I no, this is getting morbid. Let's not go there. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and dive in to our 20 minutes with Casey Whalen. I'm going to go ahead and set the clock. Uh, we will, of course, ignore it because that's what we do here at the roundtable. But it's good <laughs> to have goals. All right, Casey, um, dude, you've been quoted in the radio drama handbook. Uh, uh, we're alive really... Defined, or redefined, or reinvigorated. I'm not. I'm not sure how best to say it. But but validated for a lot of people, this love of the full cast and the audio drama production of storytelling. And and I, I'm. I know as a writer of both formats, that there are some serious distinctions between the two. And obviously you can't, you know, use dialogue to describe things. And like in Christoph's Leviathan, he uses a narrator, which you don't in We're Alive. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you see as the biggest differences between the written narrative and the scripted narrative? And, and which one of those did you run up against the hardest uh, in the early days of We're Alive? It's one
2: of those things where, I, like, between uh, something that's narrative and you have a guiding, you know, uh, a godlike voice that's, that's explaining what's going on in the characters' heads, you don't have that. You're kind of in between a book and a TV show where, on a TV show, they can, like, show you someone's face and reactions, and then in a book, you can have them describe those reactions, but in audio drama, the reactions have to come in the most subtle ways of either dialogue or performance – or you just get everything lost in a scene, and it's it's one of those things where like you have to um, really know the format well in order to like be able to inject and and make sure you don't completely confuse an audience. So it's 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 kind of a complicated but like technical balance between these two giant mediums.
0: Sure, and pacing is is different. I mean, you have to have a much quicker pace. You don't have time for I mean, how long was the longest scene? In we're alive, in terms of just pages, page count, Uh the longest single scene.
2: I'd say the longest scene is maybe ten pages at at the most. Whoa, that's a long scene. It is a long scene, yeah. And that's the some of those scenes though are broken up with uh, flashbacks or they're broken up with other things. Like um, there was there was a what we called kind of like the death scene of of it was one of the longest scenes we had in the show. Was towards the end when we're like basically pulling all the strings of everything that happened together and like letting the the audience reveal what happened. But the really cool part was we just basically interspliced the segments of the audio that the scene took place in and we were able to like uh, do flashbacks in a weird audio form to break up this giant scene. So there's really a lot you can play with uh, in terms of post-production that, you know, we we do have some uh, advantages in
0: this field as well. Sure. Sure, sure. But as as you're writing the script, as you're as you're sitting there, you you've outlined the general plot arc for 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 this chapter. You know it's gonna be three episodes long. You're you're writing out those scenes. How are you as 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 a storyteller, how are you parsing that out in your brain? Is, is there a process that you go through? Is there a, a flag or a warning that goes off? It's like, oh, crap, this scene's going too long. How does that work for you?
2: There's been a lot of scenes where I've started writing it, and I'm like, this is too boring. Or, like, <laughs> why would I want to watch this scene? If I don't want to watch it, why is anybody else going to want to watch it? And you have to just kind of toss it out and maybe start over and figure out a new angle of, of how you're going to approach this, this concept. Because every scene that you're writing needs to have an objective. It has to, there's something that needs to happen or get done in the scene and you have to figure out a way to make it the most interesting and find the way to, to, to make the scene dynamic and not bore anybody. So you have to kind of like, well, what are they doing in the scene? And you just have to look for clues around sometimes these um, settings and find something like, Oh, they could be doing this. or they could be doing this and that'll, that'll make what the, the motivations of the scene really come across. So it's kind of a, a weird way of, you know, finding the best route to, you know, have something come across, and it, it can be very confusing and difficult at times. So
1: one of one of my questions, Casey, is: Is there ever been a, an element of the story that you've wanted to tell, but but through the limit through the limitations of audio drama or or the fact that you don't have a narrator, couldn't figure out how to tell? Like, for example, I one time was trying to to have the audience follow a whale as it went down through the ocean? I was like, I can't make this sound right. Was there ever a scene in We're Alive that you're like, I want to tell this part of the story, but I can't figure out how to make it work through the medium of audio drama?
2: Um, there's, there's been a couple scenes, yeah, that's happened. A number, the, one of the biggest ones, if you don't have a narrator, um, which we actually do have some narration in, in We're Alive, um, we keep it very minimal, but we, we let the narration be a character in the story. Right. Through the so notebooks. that, yeah, through the notebook. So it's 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 a firsthand account of the scene that happened, um, but it, they're recounting it in the past. If that makes sense, so right. they can inject their right. own personality in it. Um, there were some scenes that we get we scrubbed where it's like we follow a, a character who's writing uh, writing out what they're doing, and they just realize that keeping a journal is a waste of time, and they throw it out, and the scene just stopped. That didn't work. Some of the scenes with one person in it becomes incredibly difficult to pull sure, off because they sure. don't have they don't have anybody to communicate with. Like um, that's where two people scenes became almost a necessity, unless you want to have the person talk to themselves really unnaturally for long periods of time, which can happen and it can work. It's just uh, a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, and there was one scene uh, towards the end of we're alive uh, in the last season that actually uh, my co-producer Grayson and I like battled over was it's the idea in creating uh, a scene Whether, where you can jump into realities from, like uh, in terms of perspective. Like, I wanted to tell dual perspectives going on simultaneously, where um, in the scene you have somebody. Basically, they have a baby monitor that they're getting uh, being fed information to, but they can't communicate to the other person. They have to communicate through them through like a a surveillance camera. So really, you can have I want to have both voices unmodulated as if they're in the same room together, but only one person can hear the other one. And that was one of those things where uh, my co-producer said, no, no, it's it's too. (laughs) That's
1: that's really that's complex. That's a really complex idea.
2: Yeah, and and personally, I thought it worked, but then I was like, okay, I give. I mean, people might get confused that they're not in the same room, so I will modulate one of the voices so it's like they're. Um, you can hear them talking as if they were over the radio. So well, there's a way to do that. You have
0: a unique opportunity. I, I I know that in the production cycle, you're you're crafting the scripts, you're crafting the stories, and you want to give the 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 actors a completed script when they come into the studio. Did you ever? Like in that scenario you were just describing, did, were you ever tempted to say, let's try it both ways and see how it sounds?
2: The interesting thing is, I didn't have to give them any different direction because um, if it's just that was a post production um, ah, technical, okay. like, oh, how are we going to make the characters parallel in here? Like in the script, I had them paralleling just fine, um, but then we pulled back in the editing room and then we just had to make one be the one that's on the radio and the other one not. And I always hate doing radio modulations because it makes it so hard to understand what they're saying. And that's one of the golden rules mm-hmm. is if you can't understand what they're saying, it's garbage. <laughs>
0: that's, like, that's like fuzzy text on a book page. Yeah, that ain't going to fly.
2: Exactly. It's like, so you can slur something all you want, but if that if that word is missing in there and people aren't understanding where you're going, and then you're going to have a confused audience, and that's then you failed.
0: Did you have a... a- did you have somebody not a beta reader, but did you have was your producer uh, uh, the person who would look over the scripts ahead of time? How, how did you how did you I am mean, you creating the scripts? Is there some sort of handoff to someone else who would look over the scripts and say, uh, Casey, I think you're going off the rails over here?
2: Um, they never when they read the scripts, they never tell me I'm going off the rails in terms of production stuff. Like um, they don't really question whether or not the scene is going to work. They uh, will sometimes give notes about dialogue or um, maybe this this would this reaction here isn't as genuine as it could be. It, I have um, really kind of three checks and balances. I have my wife who'd read the scripts, um, Grayson, who's the co-producer, who would read the scripts, and also Elisa Elliott, who is uh, Pegs, would also read the scripts because she is also a writer. And we've worked—she uh, actually proofed, I think, the entire last season, if not the last two. I forget how many she did, but it was a lot. And so it's we always have somebody like who is familiar with the characters, knows the show— look it over and be like, and sometimes go, ah, let's fix this here, this here. Um, usually it's not really huge changes. It's always like just things to, um, you know, mo- move it from one, one spot in the room to another, event, so, so to speak. Okay.
0: We'll be back with more of our conversation with Casey Wayland after this brief promotional break.
2: Crack two plot points into a large mixing bowl.
0: Add one cup oil of Protagonist.
2: Add a few drops of
0: dialogue. Sift in three tablespoons of antagonist. Mince
2: a few action scenes and make sure fully incorporated.
0: Sprinkle liberally
1: with minor characters.
2: Stir vigorously. Drizzle in warm,
0: buttery conflict.
2: Pour into a 9x13 notebook.
0: Bake at 325 degrees. Done. Done. Writing's as easy as cooking, right? Yeah, right. Writing's not easy, and you need a break. But if you're taking a break, and you're not up for cooking either, come hang out in the disaster kitchen of The Melting Podcast.
2: The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Micro stories. Interviews. Flash fiction stories back-to-back based on the same writing prompt. And most importantly, bad food puns. Because food makes everything better right...
0: Come dine at the com. Right? Now, let's get back to the conversation with KC Wayland. You just mentioning the fact that your your art actors give you feedback. Most most of our listenership is is literary crafters uh, crafters. That's a sucky word. Uh, <laughs> uh, literary creators, literary alchemists, working in in the the novel, the short story, uh, uh, and they they never had the opportunity to have their characters actually talk to them and say no 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 this this doesn't fly for me or or, or whatever. It, that's a rare opportunity from your perspective, from a creative standpoint, to actually be able to have your work written and then executed. But before it's released, you can actually have a dialogue with those characters. And that was fairly influential in your development of those characters. Is that correct?
2: Oh, yeah. that's that. Honestly, if that, that's a, a great piece of advice I could give to anybody who's trying to be a writer is find the voice to match the character that you want and go with it. Um, and cast it yourself in your head to make it easier. Because I tell you what, like I'm, I'm running into that problem now with writing new stuff is I'm having to develop the voice in my head rather than, like, meeting the character on set and working with them so often. Like, writing We're Alive towards the end, finding the characters and voices were so so super easy. Um, I was just able to fly through the scenes of... uh, No, the character wouldn't say that. uh, Down pat. Creating new ones, it's so much more difficult because you have to, like, find the voice, like, the check and balance of what someone would say versus not say... Um, and, oh, that's way out of their character, they wouldn't really do that, is not established yet. So, like, if you can offer up a voice or find a, like, even if it's a a famous actor, like, oh, I imagine Jennifer Lawrence's, like, husky female voice is this character here. It, It helps so much more when trying to, like, basically get that voice in your head as you're typing and as you're going through and developing.
0: See, that's interesting because I know a lot of writers are using Pinterest, Pinterest boards as, as visual, I know I'm doing this, uh, as visual references for their characters, for their places and so on. It never occurred to me to, to use, uh, uh an audio palette, uh, for what the, the, the characters voices sound like that that's, that's intriguing to me. And I'm actually, that kind of raises another question, uh, in audio drama, Casey, the, the sense, the predominant sense that I think you're probably focused on is sound, The sound of boots, the sound of zombies, the sound of death, uh, uh, guns and so on. Did you have did you make any effort or initiative to to at least give a nod to the other senses, the feelings, the smells, the the, the sensations of the world around you as you were writing your stories?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, With. Especially with the movement of somebody. And and I know that's not really another... It's It's sort of a sense that, you know, you're hearing them, but you're also feeling them in the scene. They have a weight. You're feeling their presence of, like... Um, If I'm recording, say, Saul or I'm recording Robbins, they all have distinct footsteps. They all have a distinct manner in which they carry themselves in the scene. Like, Saul likes to pace a lot. Like, he's very fidgety in his movements. Whereas you have Robbins who just kind of kicks back in a chair and doesn't move for like a half an hour. So er, everyone's got like a different way of, of, of bringing themselves into the scene and then you let the characters bring out the other senses to you. Um, one of the, the the most my one of the most fun scenes for me to write was when I had two characters basically diving into a pile of bodies to hide and being able to describe the smell and the touch and even almost the taste of what they're in was so disgusting, but it like really <laughs> came across with all the sound effects and everything. So those are the times you really get to like bring across the because no one can smell burnt uh, unless a character like describes or brings it to your attention because you will forget what your other senses are giving you,
0: and you do that through dialogue.
2: Through dialogue, dialogue is your best tool. Um, Let the characters experience it and react, whether or not they're not like directly saying that they smell it, like. Um, I have people like covering their mouths when they're trying to like say something, and you know it smells so bad by the, the amount of pressure they're putting on their nose. Nice. Um, the more that they're muffling, the more that they're trying to hide themselves from something is the worst that something will be uh, smelling. Or, or uh, basically, it's it's your only window into that world is through that person.
0: That's ingenious.
1: You know, one of the things that I think you do better than anybody is is we're alive has so many high energy action sequences so many fight scenes and you know a lot of people don't realize how hard those are to do i mean if you're just going to put a random series of explosions and gunfire it just it's just a bunch of noise but you do such a great job of making the listener feel like they're in the middle of it that they're feeling that heat of battle um what what are some of the things you you do to make that sound so good in terms of your, your storytelling, in terms of choosing the perspective of which the action is taking place, um, because that can be really, really hard to do when you're when you're doing a script.
2: Yeah, the a- action sequences can either be the easiest thing to do or the hardest thing to do, depending on what they're doing. <laughs> um, but you have to choreograph it. You have to know and basically map out on a piece of paper where the characters are and how they're interacting with the environment and then Go around and basically design the sound around that. Um, if they're behind a corner and somebody's that they're engaging is around the other corner, you have to live it in that space. Um, if they're shooting at you, how long is it going to take a bullet to travel from the gun to the person? Now, granted, it should be instantaneously, but you get to play with that in an audio. You can like <laughs> yeah. make it short, further or, or really change um, the a lot of it is environments with. Uh, and this is going to get a little technical with environments with their shoes and what they're impacting. Um, if you can change it, you're going to give a lot more visual um, uh, like, and a better experience of what's going on. Like we have a chase sequence at the end of We're Alive that takes place in a hallway and then on a fire escape. And then so it's so dynamically different. The minute they open the window, you have crows flying and wind gusting. It it went from basically a stairwell scene to a hallway scene to a, um, a fire escape scene, we're changing the environment around the characters so much dynamically, and it's so distinctive of those three environments, you can feel the action flow between it, rather than it being disjointed and just being in the same spot the whole time. So changing and, and giving this scene somewhere to go, just as if you would a, uh, a film, is is very powerful, and you'll be able to you know better channel what's
0: going on. Okay, I know I said before we started recording that we weren't going to talk production stuff, uh, but but I'm an audio producer as well, and you just invoked something that is fabulous and awesome and also probably one of the most challenging things for an audio producer, so I'm going to break my own rule. Fuck it, it's my show. <laughs> and, we're, and, we're gonna, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you, so you're moving from from interior to exterior to to a different interior environment in the course of a scene. Now, is that exclusively done through filtering and and EQ and effects applied to the vocal tracks? Or are you actually having your your performers uh, uh, introduce, are you recording your performers in different environments or a combination of both?
2: Uh, The performers pretty much always go and they're performing on a stage and they actually don't move their feet at all. They stay in the same spots and we will make them move in the environments after they've done recording. Okay. Um, we've never actually done, every scene is recorded in the same space. Um, we haven't actually done recordings on location. I think the only time we've done that is some of the Foley stuff. Cause we couldn't move it, move the, whatever we needed into the Foley stage, like fences and things like that. Right. Um, because fences react a different way if they're actually stuck in the ground versus, oh, I'm just shaking a sheet of, you know, <laughs> Three chain link. Three feet <laughs> versus 20 right.
0: feet of, of chain link sounds different, sure.
2: Oh, yeah. And it's like, how does it... Chain link is notorious. It's like every chain link sounds different depending on how long it is and how grounded it is. It's it's one of the hardest materials to try and fake. Um, and so that, that's, you know, one of those things where you get to customize it after the voices. Like for... Uh, All the footsteps and all the textures of where their feet go in our Foley stage, we move them from one to the other. Like we have a gravel pit that gives us a little bit more detail and texture. Um, We never have any clean asphalt. It's always got sprinkled with debris um, because nothing would be clean in this environment. Um, And then what we do in post-production is we'll make sure that the, the voices are grounded. Foley does that really well. But then we'll apply the EQ based on the room that they're in. Um, So if they're in a stairwell, it'll apply to their voices and it'll apply to their footsteps separately. And we can adjust it depending on how much we want to have. Because voices with too much echo is annoying. But if you have footsteps with a little bit more echo, you get a little bit better balance between the two. So that's one of those things where um, in post you get to control the amount or non-amount of an environment basically changing what the, uh, the
0: audio is. Yeah, the room bounce or whatever. Okay, awesome, very cool. Um, uh, <laughs> we're running out of time, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call a technical and and extend a little bit and break another rule. Um, Christoph, that last question was awesome about the the and I agree. Uh, uh, Casey has a, has a gift uh, uh, for for the action scene. I would also uh, and I know you're my co host and you're supposed to be asking questions, but let's flip it around for just a second because Leviathan has some. Badass action scenes as well. Uh, what's your take on the on the action scene, and and what what could can you add anything to Casey's uh, uh, description of how to craft a good audio action scene?
1: Well, I think I think Casey is is dead right that variety is is the key, and that you you need to keep if you have too much repetition of the same sort of whether it's footsteps or gunshots that it's um you're you're just going to make it confusing and just too repetitious. So you need to create as much variety as possible. I think having the right music actually creates a greater emotional impact than mm. um, than, than an accurate impact. And that's something that, that my production team and I would play around with. We're like, we know this shouldn't sound this way in real life, but it sounds cooler if we do it. Or with the right music, we'll have the right emotional impact, even if it's not the most accurate impact. So we'll play around with that a little bit to make sure that, you know, it's a little bit like if you're watching The Matrix, right? <laughs> are, are the physics completely correct in what they're doing? No, but it looks cool, and I feel like a rock star when I watch <laughs> it. And we and we and we go for a little bit of the same the same game with with Leviathan, where we just want to make sure people are feeling our podcast um, as much as they are necessarily listening and 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 trying to follow the storyline. But if they're if they're, we're getting the right emotional reaction, we think the scene is a success. That is brilliant
0: advice. All right, my last question is for Casey. Um, uh, and and Casey, one of one of the hallmarks, I think, of We're Alive, is is the rich character arcs that you evolved over the course of those four seasons. Uh, uh very authentic characters, characters that evolved, characters that changed and grew. Uh, uh, so, from a writer's perspective, how do you parse out a character's arc across? multiple episodes across multiple chapters and even across four seasons what's is is there a pacing is there a is there a tempo that you strive for as a writer do do we need at least at least one character plot point per per episode what's your what's your metric on that
2: um for me when it comes to arcs is define them clearly before you start writing What do you want to have happen in the end for any of these characters? Like, where are they going to go? Where do they end up? um, In terms of where they start versus where they end, Um, because and that also can change as a writer. Don't you? You're not by any means ever set in stone. You can all of a sudden decide this character, you know. As long as it makes sense in the story, this character, all of a sudden, I'm going to have go a little bit different direction over here. But it's always building to that um, and supporting it through small details. And like like I can use uh, Kelly, which is one of the biggest character arcs we have in the story as an example, where in the beginning, she's incredibly selfish, always about herself. And then through the series, she just loses so many people around her. Like, her nephew dies. And then all of a sudden, that brings everything truly down to, like, a real sense. And she continues to build uh, her relationship with everybody around her. And that kind of builds her up. And so that's... Her arc is is smaller. But she she kind of, like, even in her own way, she replaces her nephew with somebody else in the end. And, and finds a way to, to, to channel her connection with somebody so that's even her like small pieces of the arc that people didn't even notice like i don't know if anybody ever noticed but she got towards the end there was another young character uh named hope and that she kind of becomes an aunt too in a way um so that she kind of finds her own um you know full circle of where she was in the beginning and how she changes it. and she's still an aunt but she's an aunt to somebody else and she treasures it more towards the end so you have to find a way to make a character grow I like to make him grow in positive ways, but there are some that grow in negative ways. So as long as the character's changing and evolving in any direction that's interesting and not just a lame, small choice, um, then it's more fun. I mean, make a big, bold choice. Have you guys ever watched Downton Abbey? Oh, oh my yes.
1: So okay. much. An, an embarrassing <laughs> amount.
2: <laughs> okay, good. Um, and a lot of writers need to actually watch it. I, I was very hesitant to watch it until recently. My wife finally got me involved and now I'm addicted. But if you take a look at those characters, like the the biggest and boldest choices they take with their characters are the most interesting. Like poor Mr. Bates has been in so many different extremes of characters. And also Anna, his 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 wife, it's like, it's so engaging because they just go and they go the extra mile. They're willing to take and make the the ultimate like sacrifices to put them in the hardest possible scenarios that they have to get out of. And it just makes these characters just bloom or crumble depending on how they react to it.
1: Well, well I, I know we're running short on time, but I have just one question I, I wanted to ask. I think one of the things that that makes We're Alive so real and so special is, you know, you you sort of subscribe a little bit to the George R. R. Martin school, where you're not afraid to kill your characters. And there is obviously a lot of death that, that takes place. What's been the hardest character for you to kill?
2: Any character that, you know, I really love and enjoy to write. Um, I really liked Bricks. Um, I didn't like uh, having to lose him, I think that was one of the ones that affected, uh, not really affected me, but I really enjoyed playing with his character. Um, he was very genuine. But I, I think that one of the differences between uh, when I what I do for characters' deaths versus what George does, um, George will kill a character and it do- sometimes it doesn't mean a thing in the story. Nothing changes. Um, I feel that death is one of the best one of the ways and maybe not the best way to move a story forward that wasn't able to go that way before um so a character death can only add to the story like say for instance uh one chapter uh in chapter two for whatever reason blah 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 happens and then so and so dies well when we get to chapter three that story couldn't be told without that character dying. Like, there was something that needed to happen in order for the story to go forward. That's kind of the way that I like to treat it, is because um, if death is meaningless, then your audience will not care about it and they won't care about the characters that go through it. And that's death is a very powerful tool, but it can also easily turn your audience against you. Because you killed them for the wrong reasons, and it's stupid. People want to know that the characters are invested in, meant something to somebody.
0: It mm-hmm. becomes a body count. At which yeah. point, you're now you're now you're now you're a teenage horror movie, not a, a rich, authentic tale with real people in it.
2: Exactly. And some people get away with it. I mean, George has a great story, but that's just um, my my opinion. Is write the characters that people will love, and they'll love you for it. I go. think
1: it's a, it's a. There's two ways to look at it, and the other way would be that you've created such a dangerous world that anybody can die, and that adds a higher degree of tension to to some of the sequences that that you would create. If if there's a sense that anybody could die, then then even the smallest, um, uh, the smallest scenes can can carry great consequences. Yeah,
2: Tommy was like, when you kill off a youth. Right, That's one of those right. things where it's like, guess what, guys? We don't play by the rules. That's right, kind of an eye opener right. for when you do that.
0: Well, and and you know, you raise a good point about uh, you know you you can say anybody can die, but in order to give that teeth, somebody has to. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 it's a show don't tell. It's a classic show don't tell scenario. Uh, so so making those deaths count is is absolutely vital, and having them serve the story is essential. Gentlemen, I, I hate to say it, but the clock has actually died and risen again and is shambling toward me uh uh, saying time time uh so i'm assuming that can only mean we're out of time uh and it's hungry for it so uh casey wayland thank you so much sir this is this has been inspiring insightful and and a great deal of fun i appreciate it sir thanks dave it's been great excellent Christoph. There was a lot of writerly goodness being bandied about in that uh, we'll call it twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what's what's your takeaway? what what jumped out at you as as a thing you're going to be carrying away from from this uh, discussion?
1: You know, I, I think that one of the things that that Casey was talking about in terms of knowing where your characters start and where they end is um is is just is so important and and it doesn't that by the way that doesn't mean you need to know everything that necessarily happens in the middle yeah. um but you know if you know and 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 you know with Leviathan I I always knew where it was going to end and I knew certain points in the points along the way. But that's not to say that I had everything flushed out. And, um, you know, I think it is it is important to to at least know where you're going to start and where you're going to end. And, um, you know, I think that's a that's a really important point when you're when you're creating a production even more so than than with a novel, because you you have you have to keep all your voices consistent. You have to keep all your there's a lot more to keep track of when you're doing an audio production than, than writing a novel.
0: Yeah, it, and, it, and it's a very focusing aspect, but it's also a liberating aspect. You mm-hmm. know your direction, but there's a hundred different ways to get there. Right. So yeah, for me, I'm 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 all about finding new ways to to breathe life into the characters before I start writing them, uh, so that I I you know, and of course, as you say, they evolve as you go. Uh, but the idea of finding an actual tangible voice. Uh, for a character uh, prior to actually sitting down and writing them is really intriguing to me uh, because as, as you both know sound uh, is a profound emotional trigger uh, and and knowing how a character sounds even when you're writing out words on paper or pixels as the case may be uh, uh, that that can infuse a whole new level of depth and and verisimilitude to how that character acts, how they speak, and how they interact with everyone else. So that's that, for me, was, was a, a, an epiphany that uh, I will be pursuing in the future. Well, dear friends, thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Now, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to have to hang out for seven days. But seven days from this very moment come back because we're going to have Casey come back and we're going to have him and me and Kristoff and a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer uh, uh, workshop, not just a story, dear friends, we're going to be workshopping an audio script, a landmark first event here on the round table. And I could not be more pumped. Uh, And I hope you are too, but that's wow. That's like seven days away. That's a really long time. Kristoff. What do you think our listeners should be doing between now and seven days from now?
1: If they haven't heard or listened to We're Alive, you should take the next five days, work days, off of, off of your job and, <laughs> and, and mainline it like it's a crack rock and listen to it because it's some <laughs> of the most uh, most innovative uh, and most compelling audio drama that's been done in in it years, and uh, Casey is an amazing creator, and you are seriously missing out. If you care about storytelling, and you care about narrative, and you care about about hearing stories told in, in really a new way, you need to check out his work. Check out We're Alive.
0: Definitely, Aww, that's definitely. Mad. That's good advice. And and I usually have one thing to say, but I'll say too. Uh, uh, then go ahead and take a second week off from work and mainline The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Laputka <laughs> because Christoph has also uh, created a marvelous, marvelous world, uh, an incredible story, rich characters, fascinating action and a well-produced, richly articulated audio story there as well. So there you go. There's your marching orders. (laughs) You're not going to be working. You're going to be digging it. Uh, And as I always tell you, friends, you find what you're looking for. So Do yourself a favor. Look for the good stuff. Look for awesome. Look for whoa! And I promise you, if you go out looking for it, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, be awesome, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by The Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for The Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of BroTown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us. Visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast and you can always email us at the table at roundtablepodcast.com thanks for listening